Keystone Sports Network. Hello and welcome to the obligatory Keystone Crossover Show. I'm Jim Galante along with Chris Bucanani. Chris, as always, great to chat some Penn State football with you today. Yeah, man, it's good to be back. I'm looking forward to this one. So am I. Just a quick note, this is a combination of the obligatory Penn State podcast and the Keystone Sports Network. Chris and I find a topic that we're both interested in. It could be Penn State football directly, college football in general, and we give you a little more Penn State football uh, content during your week. We're alternating the show between our two sites. I think this week we're on your podcast, uh, Chris. I'm not sure, but if you're listening to us, obviously that means you found us. Next week, then, it'll be on our show on the Keystone Sports Network. Chris, you know, over on our Keystone kickoff show, Dustin and I have been doing a series that's been a lot of fun, especially for me as an old Penn State fan. We've been going through the history of Penn State football through the decades. We chose to begin in the 60s, the late 60s, the Paterno era. And we've worked our way now from the 60s to the 70s to the 80s. I am old enough to remember those undefeated 68 and 69 teams. Not to mention the 73 undefeated teams. We just did the 80s decade, had the two national championships. For me, those are my prime memories. The problem is... There aren't a lot of Penn State fans anymore who are as old as me who can remember those moments. So it made me really curious, and I know you're an avid Penn State guy. You have a good memory of what goes on. I was curious about you at your age, what your favorite memories are of Penn State football. And I phrase it that way. I didn't directly ask your age, Chris. That's up to you if you want to volunteer it. Yeah, well, I'm old. Old enough. Let's put it that way. Uh, I, I will definitely give myself away till we get to the end of the conversation. And the way I chose to answer it, Jim, and I thought it's a, it's a great topic. I love doing stuff like this. Part of what makes Penn State fandom so great is the way you connect with people through shared memories of things y- you all experienced each in your own way. And the best moments stick with us for the rest of our lives. Remember where we were, who we were with, how it made us feel. So, yeah, I I never get tired of talking about that sort of stuff. And what I decided to do was list out what my personal top ten was for Penn State football moments that I have witnessed personally. So there are some bowl games and some away trips I didn't make, and you are going back to my freshman year of college, which was 1997. I only sporadically got to games prior to that and they were always like the the non-conference like we're playing Akron or whoever type games so what you won't hear on this list are things like hanging 81 on Cincinnati or um, you know any of the games from 94 the drive at Illinois the Bobby Ingram touchdown to beat Michigan the Kajana Carter run in the Rose Bowl Uh, Brandon Noble getting three sacks against Northwestern his senior year in 1996, (laughs) one of the all-time great moments in Penn State football history, certainly. But I I think I can speak most directly to those events I witnessed with my own eyes. I think that's a great way to go. There's nothing like that first person, I was there when this happened, Chris. 
Go ahead. Let's let's hear your list. For sure. And I'm so it, it's a good – I think you'll like this list. I think it's a good list. I am curious, how would you like to receive it? Would you like it in ascending or descending order? Do you like to start with the punchline or finish? Finish. Let's start 10 and work our way down to your number one moment. Okay. So I mentioned my freshman year, 1997, a game I think often gets overlooked, maybe perhaps because that season started with a lot of promise. Penn State was on the front cover of Sports Illustrated as their preseason number one. Hopes were really high and – Ultimately, it finished a little bit worse than everyone was expecting. Michigan, who ended up owning a share of the national title that season, came in and whooped our ass in Happy Valley. We ended up getting pounded to end the regular season out in East Lansing by Michigan State. And then there was the infamous Curtis Enos suit incident which through the hindsight of the NIL era looks just so profoundly ridiculous. But Curtis Enos, our star running back, was going to one of the many award ceremonies postseason he had been invited to, and his, he didn't have a suit to wear. So his agent paid for it, and then he was ineligible to appear in the bowl game. So a kind of a disappointing season overall, but I think one of the great games in Beaver Stadium that season was a matchup of top 10 teams Ohio State comes to Penn State. The game goes back and forth. It's one of those late or mid to late October games where the 3.30 kickoff transforms into a night game environment by the end. And that whole game was absolutely phenomenal. Two teams littered with future NFL stars going at it, trading the lead back and forth. And there was a moment, I don't know if you remember it, Jim, but one of my all-time favorite Nittany Lions was a running back slash fullback Aaron Harris when the game oh, yeah. was in the balance, rips off this incredible scoring run where he's stiff-arming guys, he throws in a spin move, he turns on the speed at the end. It's, one, of, in my opinion, one of the great individual runs in Penn State football history, not just for the technique, but because of the circumstances. You're playing Ohio State, two teams ranked in the top six, and it puts you ahead for good. I, one of my all-time favorite moments. So that's my number 10, the 1997 Ohio State game, and specifically the, the Aaron Harris run. I'll give you the game and a moment from each. That's excellent one. Aaron Harris, one of my favorite players. He had to deal with injuries. Unfortunately, he was a tremendous player. I think he was a huge fan favorite. Good good first entry. Let's keep going. Yeah, I, and a hell of a guy, too. I, he and I were contemporaries, so we actually had classes together and everything. Like, a, a really good dude and an incredible player. One of my all-time favorites. Okay, so my number nine, a landmark moment in Penn State history that is probably – irreparably besmirched by everything that came after. But the last time it was only about football in Beaver Stadium, the 2011 Illinois game, not remarkable for the quality of football played. That seems to happen frequently when the Illini come to Beaver Stadium, I'm sorry to say. Uh, But memorable mostly for Joe setting the all-time Division I coaching wins record and actually coaching in his final game. So a, a lot of implications, good and bad, to that one. But I will never forget the snowy conditions at that game. Der- the injured Derek Moy coming off yep. the sideline like Willis Reed is our reference for the 
sports, <laughs> specifically NBA historians out there, and being a key factor in the go-ahead scoring drive. And then the entire student section coalescing behind the south end zone goalposts as Illinois was lining up to try to kick a game-winning field goal, and they missed it. There might have been game-tying, I can't remember. But either, either way, a miss was going to seal the win for Penn State and win number 409 for Joe Paterno. So that's my number nine moment. It was, again, very bittersweet in retrospect, but I'm so glad to have been there for it personally. I like the way you phrased it. That's the last time it was all about football. Right. Good, good way to phrase it. And so much more in hindsight than we all knew that day. Okay, let's keep going. Number eight. Maybe this is going to upset some people that I have this so low. We're splitting hairs here. I'm, I'm trying to think of what was personally resonant for me and, and historically significant at the same time. But my number eight moment is the 2013 Michigan game, the four-overtime win over the Wolverines. One of the best nights in Beaver Stadium. Again, I don't want to I, I'm not trying to denigrate it by having it eight. I just think there are seven that are, are even better for various reasons. But so much fun. Uh, I kind of ruined Michigan's season too because they came in undefeated. That was a team that was one of those solid but unspectacular sanctions era Penn State teams that had its ups and its downs, but that was m- maybe the high point of that season. As I said, one of the most fun nights in Beaver Stadium, a whiteout, exciting game, an unbelievable sequence of improbable events from the final drive on up through Bill Belton finally scoring the game-winning touchdown in the fourth stanza. Was was that not the Allen Robinson catch game down mm-hmm. at about the one-yard line? Just an incredible catch, and then, yeah, Bill Belton with the final touchdown to win it. I remember that game very well. That is on my list of one of my most recent memories or more recent memories. Uh, Love that game. That was, as a whiteout game, that's always special. But when Penn State winning in that fashion, whiteout game at night, that's a great memory. And uh, just to prepare you for perhaps some audience reaction, how can you only have that age, I know. Chris? I know. I know. <laughs> I, look, if I was going to try to demonstrate for someone the energy of the whiteout experience, I might take them back in time to that game. The electricity in the stadium was intense, and the, I, the, the entertaining quality of the game just amped up the crowd enthusiasm, even as it stretched on and on and on. Nobody got worn out. They only got crazier. And there was a certain purity to those two years where Penn State was not bowl eligible, and every week was its own self-contained exercise. And so you knew you were just playing for that week's result. And I, I think that kind of freed everybody up of the stress of having to worry about, well, who's left on the schedule and what are the other teams around the country doing? There was a certain enjoyable quality to that, and I think that contributed to the atmosphere that night. I also think, Chris, I, and I've said it before, those couple years where the team wasn't good enough where out of your 12 games you assume wins out of nine or ten of them, and there were, it was essentially a one- or two-game schedule. Every game was losable, 
and potentially winnable. So I think it made us enjoy the individual game itself more. So there, there's something to be said for that. All right, let's get to number seven. Okay, a lot of Joe Paterno milestones on my list. And I have at the seventh spot, the 2010 Northwestern game, which was the 400th career win for Joe. The 2010 season was unremarkable by Penn State's quality standards, but I think it had some of the most fun moments inside Beaver Stadium. The previous week, they had played Michigan again in a whiteout game. Denard Shoelace Robinson, one of the more exciting players of this century to play in the Big Ten, back and forth game, great atmosphere, and that carried over for the chance for Joe to go from 399 to 400. Northwestern comes out and takes a big lead. Again, like not a great defensive football team by, by Penn State standards at all. But Matt McGloin, the old McMoxie himself, he rallies Penn State back late in the first half. And then the Nittany Lions just totally took control in the second half. Again, you had kind of a night game atmosphere. There was a lot on the line. Just those self-contained four quarters. Very, very entertaining football. Really fun time to be in Beaver Stadium. And there were memorable plays from that game, Jim. But the moment that will stick out for me was Joe's speech afterward. You've seen it. You may not realize the context, but it's when he's down on the field, he's got the mic, and he says, people ask me why I stayed so long. Well, look around. Look around. I mean, I get chills just talking about it. I, I Look, I love Joe, man. I will, I, I will go and die on the hill defending that guy and what he stood for as, as a man of integrity and a one of the great Penn Staters. And you could tell it was just, uh, it was authentic and it was spontaneous and it spoke to everything that inspires love for Penn State in the heart of every Nittany Lion. So that's that's my moment I'll always remember from that great game. Great experience. Very good, very good. All right, let's get to number six. So I talked about, Michigan coming in and kicking our teeth in in the 1997 game my freshman year. Jim, I waited until after I was married to see the Nittany Lions finally defeat the Wolverines. You remember we went 3-1 and one against them to start our tenure in the Big Ten. And you thought, okay, all right, let's, we, Penn State belongs with the big boys in this conference. Then Brian Greasy and Chuck Woodson come into Happy Valley kick us right in the nards, and then it's just one loss after another. It might be a blowout loss. It might be a a frustrating series of uh, officiating gaffes or whatever. My number – Two seconds added to the clock, right? Yes, yes, yeah. The two seconds thing drives me nuts. Uh, You know, uh, Jason Avant being out of bounds. Don't get me started on the 2002 game in Ann Arbor. But the point is 11 losses in 13 years. Okay, and my number six moment is 2008. It is homecoming. And the athletic department says, you know what? Forget scheduling a cupcake. We're going ballsy with this thing. We're making the Wolverines the homecoming game. 
young, there were teenagers who had been born and lived the adolescence who have never known what it was to see Penn State beat Michigan in football. And one of the things I'll never forget, Jim, is the damn drum major boffed the flip at the start of the game. The, you know, everybody's like, oh, look, Michigan stinks this year. This Rich Rodriguez thing is a disaster. Like Penn State's one of the best teams in the country. We're finally going to get them. But there was that gnawing fear in the pit of your stomach because you'd seen it go wrong so many times in a row. Then the drum major falls on his ass, and you're like, oh, my God. There was like a, a, like a, a ripple of discontent run through the stadium. And there were some great moments in that game that Penn State ultimately ended up absolutely pounding. Michigan in. Uh, Stephon Green took a swing pass to the house late in the games, kind of a nail in the coffin. Jared Odrick had a safety, which was incredible. And by the way, I predicted going into the stadium, I, my friends going to the other gate, and I yelled out, I'm like, Odrick's got a safety today. I swear to God, that's true. It <laughs> happened. But for me, the moment I'll always remember is uh, Michigan took an early lead, and all that discontent that carried over from the drum major not landing the flip just amplified it kept on growing and growing and then evan royster busts loose out of the pile at the line of scrimmage scores a touchdown and penn state never looked back from that it was that moment when royster broke free and he scored that i finally said to myself no this is it we're gonna get him this time finally relieved now you may say oh why is that so much higher than the overtime game blah 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 if you did not experience the soul crushing angst of watching those mother effers beat us so many times in a row you have no idea the catharsis of finally getting over on them when Penn State joined the Big Ten, I lived in Philadelphia, and one of my good friends there, unfortunately, was a Michigan grad. I get it. I understand. All right, let's Miserable. hit number five. Let's hit number five. Okay, this is a very popular one. I know this might even rank higher for a lot of folks. Early 2000s were not a great time period overall in the history of Penn State football. A lot of people, I think, correctly refer to it as the dark years. That's why you're not going to hear a lot of games from when I was a student on this top 10 list. I'm also sorry to say there's been a lot more Penn State football played since that time than there was prior. Anyway, 2002, early season, Nebraska Cornhuskers come into Beaver Stadium. Some people still say the loudest night inside the beave i'm not going to give it that distinction but it's definitely top three and my moment from that i think most people would choose this was rich gardner a former walk-on defensive back who worked his way up uh to be a starting cornerback at penn state and then played in the nfl he has the pick six uh jamal lord was the nebraska quarterback penn state had been down the previous two years um uh, joe's second and third losing seasons in his entire career in 2000 and 2001. Uh, also the second and third losing seasons since like 1938 or some crazy number like that. And Nebraska's top 10 team. Now they turned out to be not that great. But at that time, going back to that word catharsis, it was really enjoyable to watch Penn State play like you remembered paterno penn state teams playing for most of your lifetime and the whole game was great 
Penn State absolutely dominated. I want to say the final score was somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 to 7 or something like that. It was uh, – killed them. And when Gardner took that pass back the other way and scored, again, at bare minimum, the third loudest moment in Beaver Stadium history. I was there for that, and that was really the precursor to the whiteout, to that night environment. Absolutely. The noise. It told us what it could be like at Beaver Stadium. And I don't recall what kind of game he had, but that was also the year of Larry Johnson, right? 2002. Mm -hmm. When it just looked like he could have run for 5,000 yards that season. There were some games that he just went crazy. But, yes, huge game. And I'm not sure. I might be one of those who think that that may have been the loudest it's ever been um, at the B. All right, let's hit number four. Since you mentioned Larry Johnson, I do want to say uh, honorable mention is LJ getting to 2,000 yards against Michigan State. Michigan State. That, that looked like every carry he could have gone to the house during that game, by the way. But, yeah, it was it was a pretty special season after uh, those couple dark years. Very enjoyable season uh, with that Nebraska game as a highlight. All right, we're down to the final four, Chris. So, number four, I said there were not a lot of games from while I was in school, but this is one of them, the last one on the list. And this is when I actually got to broadcast on the Lion 90.7, so I was up in the press box for this one. 2001 season was, again, kind of a bittersweet experience because you had uh, games canceled and, and delayed because of 9-11. So a very difficult time for the country as, you know, that as the backdrop for that season. But a very significant moment in, again, another mediocre losing year for Penn State. Joe Paterno passes Bear Bryant as the all-time, what was then Division 1A, is now called FBS wins leader. He got his 324th win at home in front of the Penn State fans inside Beaver Stadium against Ohio State in a game that the Nittany Lions were not supposed to win. So to me, it was meaningful to see him set that milestone in a memorable setting. Like he got win number 300 against Bowling Green in 1998. Yeah. Like no, no one remembers the 98 Bowling Green game. But that 2001 Ohio State game, a game against a ranked opponent, a conference rival, a team everybody all, to this day wants to measure Penn State against, and one where we had to mount a comeback and just – be, play more disciplined football and have more piss and vinegar than the opponent, that was the right way for Joe to pass the bear. Wasn't that Zach Mills? And that's my moment, yeah. Zach Mills busts out a touchdown run, and at that point you think there's maybe something going on here. There's a little magic in the air. So, yeah, that that to me, a lot of other great games on this list, a lot of other great moments. You combine the history the circumstances, and the entertaining quality of football, that's why I have it at number four. Big time. Very good. Big time moment. All right. Let's head to number three. I'm getting excited about these. I'm anxious to hear the final three. Go ahead. Okay, so my number three is probably for a lot of fans who are younger than I, going to be the number one moment. That's the 2016 Ohio State game. The blocked kick returned for a touchdown. It almost feels trite to bring this up, I realize, because this was the first one of these incredible moments in the age of total social media saturation. Like, previous moments in past years, 
you didn't get shown repeatedly over and over and over again on Twitter and Facebook and in videos put out by the athletic department and this, that, and the other. So we've all seen Marcus Allen block the kick and Grant Haley run it back however many times. So maybe we're a little bit desensitized to just how significant and incredible that moment and that game were. Uh, You know, I said the 2011 game was the last time it was only about football. That 2016 Ohio State game was the moment when we kind of all got permission to start making it more about football than anything else again. And uh, the reassurance that everything you believed Penn State was and that you had known it to be was still going to be there for you in the future. And, of course, it was an incredible context of a whiteout game and a home upset of unranked Penn State defeating number two Ohio State. It means a little bit more when you beat the Buckeyes, especially in that context. So that's that's a, a number three moment, and it could just as easily be number one. Well, my, my quick um, addition to that is I remember being there and when they were behind in the game in the second half, I can remember turning to my brother, as much as I want to win this game, I'm at least giving this team credit. They're playing them physically. They're matching up with Ohio State. And Ohio State people will say, oh, we shouldn't have lost. It was a, you know, a fluke turnover, a special teams. Ohio State got the lead because of that type of play. So they kind of balanced out. But I remember thinking even prior to that how well Penn State played. And I hope I'm not stealing any thunder. I don't think so. But that entire season when you said we're now able to think in terms of football again, how big in hindsight was the Minnesota game in overtime where a 2-2 two and two team, and I remember uh, we – we're doing this show, the Keystone kickoff show, and thinking, boy, this thing can go either way. And there were people calling for James Franklin's head. And from that point forward, all they did was win after that overtime Saquon Barkley run to score the touchdown. And I remember thinking, because I was only dabbling it a little bit, not only did they win the games, they kept beating the spread also. <laughs> just just a side note there. Just a side note, Chris. So anyway, all right, that was number three. Let's get to number two. Number two for me, another home game against Ohio State. There's a recurring theme here. Some of the most memorable wins are against, again, the measuring stick team in the conference. And that's the 05 Ohio State game. And that one for me ranks a little bit higher than 2016 uh, for a variety of reasons, one of which being, if I'm totally honest with myself about it, I love my alma mater and I love Penn State football and I'm, you know, love and loyalty till I go to my grave. But it is never going to quite be the same for me now. Never. There is always going to be a little... Just in the very, very back of my mind, Jim, a a little bit of lingering resentment, I guess, Um, sadness. It's 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 is what it is. It's it's minor, but it's never going away. That scar is always going to be there. And none of that was there in 2005. If you think back to that time, it was totally reasonable, given Joe's age 
and the length of his career and what we knew about practically every legend in college coaching, that he seemed to have gotten to the point based on four losing seasons in five years that the game had passed him by. And he was just about set to sort of limp off into the sunset. And what's more, you realize that because he had been so successful for so long and so consistently, it was impossible not to have taken that for granted until it was taken away. And then you wondered, are we ever going to get this back? You know, you were asking the same questions we're asking right now. If you need frame of reference, are we about to become Tennessee? Now, you know, Tennessee wasn't quite Tennessee yet back then, but they were well on their way. And so that game was really, that was the moment when Penn State football came back, and it was one of the most magical nights in one of the most magical seasons of my lifetime. And to have been there for it and to have witnessed the, the, the true birth of the whiteout with all respect to the 2004 Purdue game and to watch the character of the Penn State football experience, the Beaver Stadium atmosphere transform in real time nothing's ever going to beat it for me, even though it's number two on my list. Well, we mentioned, you know, the 2002 Nebraska game as being a preview of what the whiteout could be. This game, it was full-blown. This is really it. This is the whiteout. I remember the game, Chris. It was the first time I got to see a game from a suite at Penn State. Mm -hmm. I got to sit next to Fran Fisher watching the game. And talking to him, incredible experience chatting with him before we even introduced ourselves to each other. He um, TV timeout comes up. We had been chatting a bit. He turns to me and says, "By the way, young man, my name is Fran Fisher." And my thought was, "I know who the hell you are. You don't have to introduce yourself. I've been watching you and listening to you for years." Mm-hmm. And I said something to that effect, and all the old TV quarterback with him and Joe, I mentioned it, and all he could say was, "That's so nice of you, young man, to say. I appreciate it." He was the nicest man in the world, and the other lasting memory to that evening was. I actually got scared a little bit. The Swedes, they were moving. I was going to mention that. Yep. You you definitely got they, to see and feel the stadium move up in the Swedes, no question. Yes. <laughs> that was that was crazy and just a little bit scary. All right, Chris, that was number 2. Finally we're there. Your number 1 Penn State football memory. I'll note, Jim, that other than playing or coaching in that game, you probably had the very best experience of it of anyone in all of Nittany Nation. That's an incredible story. God, it, it was the great. It was so great. I was with my brother. We literally were just floating out of the stadium after that. I it was it. so fantastic. I just was beside myself. Like this was it. This. How in the world could you have something ahead of it, Chris? You talk about great Penn Staters, the, the the exceptional men and women who have built this institution and this community. Man, Fred Fisher was one of them. God rest his soul. A gentleman and truly a splendid human being. We were lucky to have him. So that's really cool. Okay, so my number one, topping all of those incredible, unforgettable moments, 
for me, this is my number one, and it's the 2012 Wisconsin game. If you remember that, Jim, all the turmoil of the Sandusky scandal, all the emotion of it wrapped up in that season, what it was like seeing a Penn State football team coached by someone other than Joe Paterno and and how absolutely pitch perfect Bill O'Brien was as a communicator and a figurehead and as a coach for the moment. And Penn State was not going to a bowl game. Every national pundit had said we'd be lucky to win two or three games. And when we started the season 0-2, including a disastrous kicking performance at Virginia from Sam Ficken, it seemed like that might be the case. And God love those kids on that team, the greatest, probably the greatest group of Nittany Lions to ever suit it up for this program. Led by two legacy guys in Zordich and uh, Maori, the, 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 the whole thing. They're playing their final game of the season at home versus a ranked Wisconsin team who is favored to beat them by double digits. And again, no conference title on the line, no bowl game, no nothing. It's about ending this season on a note where we can say not only did we recover, not only did we do what nobody said we could do just by not folding, they'd already won by being there, but I've said this before, it's America, winning matters. You, You need to put the coda on it. You need to get the magical moment, the W at home. And Maudie had blown his knee out the week before against Indiana. This man who had been the emotional heart and soul, not only of the team, but the entire community. When every so-called adult in this situation did not answer the call, you had the 18 to 22-year-old step into that void. And I've always said that was the ultimate proof of the grand experiment. That those kids who Joe had recruited to Penn State and had coached up, it was all of them led by the seniors who stepped up and led the way. And so the whole team comes out with Maudie's number on the one side of the helmet and Gerald Hodges, his running mate in the linebacking core, he's wearing number 42. Jordan Hill, another one of those senior leaders, has one of the most dominant games I have seen by an interior lineman. And there's little snowflakes blowing in the air on senior day. And it ultimately comes down to, can Sam Ficken make a kick to keep Penn State in the game in overtime? And the guy who was the GOAT at the beginning of the season ends the year as the hero. And Wisconsin lines up to try to stay alive. And they miss the kick. My friend to this day insists it was the ghost of Joe Pa that came in and blocked it but either way as I walked out I said you couldn't have a storybook season without a storybook ending and if you submitted the way that year went and the way that ended on the final game as a movie script it would probably be sent back so you could make it more believable and yet it happened and I witnessed it with my own eyes and it was everything Penn State is and everything Penn Staters needed all in one moment. And so that is why, for me, despite 10 to 2 being wonderful and unforgettable, this is my number one. Wow. That is fantastic. Your list is incredible. And I would not have had that in my memory, Brank, but 
as you were talking about it, Chris, all all the memories from that game came flooding back, and what that group of players did for Penn State, just incredible, absolutely incredible, and I like the way you phrased it. When the adults weren't able to do it, it was those 20-year-olds who really carried the day for Penn State. A, just a fantastic list. I, I'm on the edge of my seat listening to this list, Chris. It was fantastic. Brought back so many great memories. You were so good at this. I'm going to give you one last take on this whole list that was just so special, Chris. You know what, Jim? Sometimes you got to quit when you're ahead. I, I, I think <laughs> I've, I've said all I can say other than to say I, – I, I'll say this. I'll end this way. Sharing this with fellow Penn Staters is one of my great joys in life. And so I have been fortunate, blessed in what I have been able to do because I have gotten to meet and interact with so many more fans and alumni and share this common bond that we all treasure. So I I am just deeply, deeply indebted to anyone listening to this, anybody who has watched on TV, read anything I've written, you name it. Uh, I I hope I and all of us who have participated in this kind of stuff, we, we've brought a little enjoyment into your lives, but I assure you the deficit is on my end in terms of, of what I've taken out of it from the opportunity presents. It's good stuff. We are. Chris, I'll tell you what, if the listener's reaction is anything like mine, they had loved this show, loved your list. But that is it for this edition of the obligatory Keystone Crossover Show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time. Keystone Sports Network.